Welcome to the Can Do MS podcast. This is episode number 65, and I'm your host, Dr. Rosalind Cole. And today I have the great fortune to be talking with our guest, Dr. Alberto Escario of the Harvard School of Public Health, where he is a professor of epidemiology and nutrition. Alberto has had a special focus in his long career on the positive and negative risk factors for MS and other diseases, including smoking, low vitamin D levels, childhood obesity, and the Epstein-Barr virus, which is what he and I are going to be talking about today. So thank you very much, Alberto, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. I've been a fan for a long time, so I'm thrilled to have this opportunity to talk to you. Uh, many of us have been following your work on Epstein-Barr virus for a very long time. Um, could you share a bit about the path that brought you to this point? Yes, thank you, Rose. And, uh... I'm happy to, to be here sharing this information with you. Um, so the Epstein-Barr virus is a common virus, nearly ubiquitous, meaning infects nearly all of us. Once you are infected with the virus, the virus will remain in your body for the rest of your life. And it persists in B cells, which are an important uh, component of the immune system. And they're also extremely important in, uh, in causing MS and in, in driving the disease process in individual with MS. So many years ago, we go back to the 1980s, uh, it, was, it was noted that uh, mononucleosis, which is the clinical manifestation of infection with Epstein-Barr virus, is a distribution which is very similar to that of MS. So this uh, prompted uh, several investigator to think, well, there may be a link between the two diseases. And in fact, the individual with a history of mononucleosis have a two, threefold higher risk of developing MS. So th this was sort of the beginning of a long journey, you know, starting to look at the relation and the possible association, how the virus is related to, to MS risk. And we've done studies uh, for over 20 years and uh, until now, I think we've been able to, uh, you know, to finally uh, provide a definitive evidence of a causal association. So increasing the risk of a disease like MS is different from causing the disease of MS. So how close are we to understanding what other factors combine with Epstein-Barr infection to cause a person to get MS? Yes, let me first uh, say that, you know, causing is, uh, may have different meaning <laughs> for, for different uh, uh, people. So in epidemiology, when we say that the virus causes a disease, what we mean literally is that if you prevent infection with the virus, you prevent the disease. So let me give you an example. The human papilloma virus is to, thought to be the cause of cervical cancer. And we actually believe it is the cause of the large majority of uh, cervical cancer, not necessarily all of them. Another example, the hepatitis B virus is, the, is a strong cause of uh, liver cancer. 
And again, maybe 90% of the cases in some country are caused by the hepatitis B virus, not necessarily all of them. So in the same way, when I say that EBV is the leading cause of MS, what I mean that the large majority of MS cases, virtually all MS cases could be prevented, could be prevented if we prevent EBV infection. Now, that does not mean that there are no other factors involved. There are always other factors. It's never the case that a virus will be sufficient to cause a disease. For example, the virus of poliomyelitis, paralytic poliomyelitis, used to infect virtually all the children in the United States before the vaccine, but only one in 400 would develop uh, uh, paralytic disease. So I think the situation is similar for EBV. EBV is the leading cause of MS. Uh, other factors, including genetic predisposition and other environmental factors like vitamin D deficiency, cigarette smoking, uh, childhood obesity, all factors that we've been investigating for the past 20 years contribute to determine the risk. But if you could prevent the infection with EBV, you would prevent MS. So, so would it be accurate to say that the EBV virus is, a, is essential to causing MS, but is only one of several things that come together to cause it? Right, you know, some, some people like to put it the way saying that it's essential or necessary. I tend to avoid, uh, uh, it's almost true, but I tend to avoid that language because um, there is always, uh, uh, again, let me give you ex the example of poliomyelitis, paralytic poliomyelitis. The disease is defined, was defined by the virus. So if you define the disease as you call it poliomyelitis, it's called by definition by the poliovirus. But say you, instead of calling it poliomyelitis, you describe the disease in clinical way, you know, acute flaccid paralysis with fever in children, then you will find out a few cases, even in, you know, in the past, were caused by some other virus, like an enterovirus that is not the poliovirus, which is true today when the poliovirus is not in the circulation anymore. So I believe the same is for MS. When you define MS clinically and by MRI, there will be one case in a thousand, right? That even if clinically, radiologically, perfectly fit the description, that is not caused by the Epstein-Barr virus. In fact, in our own study, out of 801 cases, we had one case that was not caused by EBV because it was an EBV negative one. Okay, interesting. So what does our current understanding of Epstein-Barr virus mean for people who already have MS? all of the folks out there who are listening, what does it mean for them? That's a good question because they, what we don't know is whether EBV drives the disease process. We know it causes the disease, but there are different ways in which it can cause the disease. Could be a hit and run, as we say. For example, EBV can cause different type of cancer. It causes Burkitt lymphoma, it, it causes uh, nasopharyngeal carcinoma, it causes uh, some cases Hodgkin disease. But it's unclear whether the virus is needed to continue the growth of the tumor. So once the virus has caused the transformation, then targeting the virus is too late. Right? 
Now, the other mechanism, whether EBV continuously drive the process, for example, by triggering out immunity, is stimulating the immune system to attack EBV and by attacking EBV, causing collateral damage to the myelin. We don't have a definitive answer on this. There is evidence you know, in, in favor of the molecular, molecular mimicry, meaning uh, this autoimmune cross-reactivity, but there's also evidence uh, uh, for other mechanisms. So until we solve that, you know, we will not know whether targeting EBV, for example, with antiviral drugs in people with MS will or will not be beneficial. This is something we are working on. It will take several years to figure it out. We are trying also to propose trials of antiviral to, you know, uh, to, to see whether that is true, but at this point uh, it's difficult to tell. So just to make sure I understand, once a person is infected with EVB, EBV that stays in their body forever for the rest of their lives, what we don't know is whether its presence in the body is uh, triggering disease progression or disease activity over time. We don't know that yet. We're just, we know that it helps to start the disease process. Right. What I think is almost, uh, you know, well, you know, almost certainly it's probable that the new response against EBV plays a role. So continuing on your question on the implication for individual with MS, it is possible that a, a therapeutic vaccine against EBV, that is a vaccine that modifies the immune response against the virus could be beneficial uh, in MS. That's also another possibility. So I think we, we have three possibilities, you know, an antiviral drug or an anti-BV drug could work. A therapeutic vaccine that modifies the immune response to EBV could work. And third, you cannot really treat MS by targeting EBV. And we, we don't know which of the three is true. So do you think we're gonna have that answer in my lifetime or yours? And for people who can't <laughs> see us, I think we're, fairly close to the same age. So what are you thinking about you know, when, when we might know? I would give it a five years time to, to sort this out because uh, yeah, it, uh, with, you know, the, 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 the recent work really generated a lot of interest. And uh, now a lot of people, including drug companies and uh, academic center, redirecting the research toward the role of EBV. And I think this will help to find an answer within a few years, but I, I think, you know, five, five years is a good estimate. Well, as I, as I said before, I've been following this for a long time. So you must feel as though you've been like Sisyphus pushing a boulder up a hill. And now finally people are hearing what you and your colleagues have been talking about for a long time. So that's, that's pretty exciting. What does, what does this emerging information um, mean for uh, children of people who have MS or children in general? Um, what does this knowledge tell us given that we know how many kids uh, get mononucleosis and live with EBV? Well, first of all, I want to reassure everyone that having mononucleosis, you know, doesn't mean that you will get MS. Let's make it clear. So even if in, in children who have mononucleosis, the risk of developing MS is less in, uh, than one in 100. 
you know, with a strong family history, like a parent or a sibling with a mace, the, the risk may be higher, but it's still in the uh, 5, 10% rate, right? meaning 90% of the cases of individuals will never get the mace in their lifetime. So I don't think uh, you have to worry if you, your, your child had uh, mononucleosis. And second, virtually everyone is severely infected and is not possible to prevent TBV infection. It's not really feasible. So uh, until we have a vaccine, we cannot really prevent TBV. So for children, the implications are, one, there is ongoing work on a vaccine. Uh, Modern and other companies are working on it. If there will be a vaccine against TBV, there are two types of vaccine. There is a vaccine for individuals who are not infected with EBV, so needs to be given in childhood to prevent EBV infection. And that would be clearly the most effective way to prevent MS, if the vaccine prevents EBV infection. There is also the possibility of a vaccine that modifies the response to EBV infection in individuals already carrying the virus. And uh, th that is a bit farther down uh, the way. So, but for now, I think we still have to rely for MS prevention on what we discovered in the past 20 years, that vitamin D is important in, in uh, preventing MS. So vitamin D deficiency or insufficiency can double the risk. So I would recommend individuals at high risk of MS because of family history, children, to assure a good you know, vitamin D label either by judicious sun exposure or most likely by taking supplements in particular in the northern latitude where during the winter you cannot get enough sunlight. Second, of course, you want to avoid cigarette smoking, but I hope <laughs> I don't even need to say that. In child obesity is actually a risk factor for, for a maze that is now well demonstrated. Uh, obesity during childhood and adolescence, which of course we can want to prevent for many other reasons, diabetes and other complications. So those are the three things that are really important. What is emerging now most recently that uh, even other dietary factors, in particularly alpha-linolenic acid, which is a fatty acid that is found in walnuts and flax seeds, and this an omega-3 fatty acid uh, is associated with a lower risk of developing MS. This is a bit more recent. The evidence uh, is uh, getting stronger and stronger. So I think it's something to, to, to track. Yeah. So we should all be eating walnuts. I think it's most likely, you know, it's not 100%, I would say maybe 80% certain that uh, high intake of alpha-linolenic acid would also reduce the risk of MS. What are some other sources of that important fatty acid? In addition to walnut flax seeds, some vegetables, canola oil. So um, th there is a variety of sources. Uh, you know. Okay, so you've highlighted smoking, of course, low exposure to vitamin D or inadequate exposure to, to vitamin D, um, childhood obesity, um, and these all come together along with genetic predisposition to increase a person's risk of MS. So if you could say one thing to people listening about risk factors and MS, you had one, one takeaway message from all of your work around risk factors, what would you say to people? 
Well, you know, obviously, as you say, EBV is the leading cause, but uh, as of today, vitamin D in terms of prevention, because vitamin D insufficiency is the most common, right? Most people don't smoke and most, <laughs> most children and adolescents are not obese. But uh, a large proportion, particularly in winter, of vitamin D level that fall below the optimal level. So I think that if we were to think one thing, I would suggest, recommend uh, probably an oral vitamin D supplement to prevent it, reduce the risk. So, so I'm going to ask you one follow-up question about that, because we know that many people, when they hear about the importance of vitamin D, go out and begin taking mega doses. So uh, can you please share what you think is the best way for people to approach um, making sure they have adequate vitamin D? Yeah, no, absolutely. There is no indication for megadoses, which are dangerous. So the strong message, avoid megadoses of, of vitamin D. Now for individual with a mace or individual risk of a mace, I think an oral dose of vitamin D3 between 2000 and 3000 IU per day is uh, sufficient to achieve the optimal levels. And this should be clear with the treating doctor because some people have contraindication. So again, it works for everyone, but it needs to be checked with your doctor. You need to make sure that you don't have any contraindication to take supplement at that level. Okay. So we know that Epstein-Barr virus is linked to other autoimmune conditions besides MS. And we know that people who have MS are also at risk for other autoimmune conditions. We may often see individuals and families uh, with several autoimmune conditions going on. So what does this finding about EBV mean for people living with other autoimmune conditions in addition to or besides MS? Yeah, I know that this link has been proposed and it may be true that EBV could also increase the risk, particularly of lupus. But the evidence for other autoimmune diseases is rather weak. There is no compelling study like the study that we recently published on MS, um, which doesn't exclude the possibility, but I think we, we shouldn't think, uh, I, I wouldn't think about all autoimmune diseases as being related to EBV. Uh, I think that is almost certainly not the, not the case with the possible exception of lupus. So before we end, I think I just need to ask again, how close you think we are, given that Moderna and other companies are working on an EBV vaccine, how close do you think we are today to having a vaccine? Yeah, I think, you know, the, this revolution of the RNA vaccine has really changed uh, the, you know, the, the, it's been a game-changing discovery. Now, there is a lot of complexity. We, everybody now knows with COVID, right? What, what does the vaccine do? And uh, as we have seen, the vaccine for COVID, for example, does not prevent COVID infection largely. It prevents the complication, the severity of the disease. Mm -hmm. So it could be the same for an EBV vaccine. So I think we are pretty close to have a vaccine that will reduce the severity of EBV infection, right? So we may not be close to a vaccine that we completely prevent, but the vaccine that will reduce the severity is likely to become available soon. 
Now, a vaccine that reduces the severity of infection most likely will reduce the risk of MS, but it's not a certain, it's not 100%. They say most likely because, you know, it's a little bit of, uh, you know, common sense, right? Uh, severe infection, mononucleosis, increase the risk of MS. Severe infection, you have many more cells infected. The immune response is much stronger. So a vaccine that will dilute all of this, will attenuate the most likely will uh, contribute to prevent MS. So I think we, we are in a pretty good shape. Again, you know, the, the five-year framework, I expect that we will see. Um, uh, now I have to say, to demonstrate that the vaccine prevent MS, even if it does, it will take longer. Only today, we are starting to have the final proof that uh, the HPV vaccine, the vaccine against human papilloma virus that is given to all the kids right in this can, prevent, actually prevent cervical cancer. It took, I forgot which year the, this, the vaccination started, but it, it, it took many, many years because the cervical cancer is... Uh, you know, a disease of young adult women or adult women, and the vaccine is given in childhood. So with MS, we will have a transition. We will be giving a vaccine to prevent mononucleosis. And for many years, we will not be sure, does it really prevent MS? Oh, we have to be patient. So when I started working MS 40 years ago, the rumor had it that we would have an end to MS within the decade. And, and the decades keep passing and so I will continue to be patient. Yeah. Is there any other question I should be asking you, Alberto, that I haven't? Um, let me think. I think we cover pretty much everything that, uh, uh, that, that is important. You know, and I hope in the next uh, couple of years, we will have new findings. We will be able to chat again and give an update uh, to all the listeners what is going on. You know? I will look forward to that. Thank you so much again for your time and for your expertise and for your persistence um, in working on EBV. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to talk to you. We've reached the end of another episode of the Can Do MS podcast. I'm your host, Roz Kalb, and I want to thank you for listening and being with us today. We'd also like to thank our sponsors for their very generous support. Thank you to EMD Sorono, Novartis Pharmaceuticals, Sanofi Genzyme, and Genentech. And if you've enjoyed this episode of the Can Do MS podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and rate and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us plan for our podcast future. It is very much appreciated. Thank you.